Hello and welcome, and thank you for joining. I'm your host, Seth Haskin. I started this podcast to dive deeper into the ways we know one another and God. The goal is to ask the question of how God loves. I invite people from many walks of life to join me on this adventure. Now, many of you may be asking, why four-dimensional love? Well, it's because we need to bring God onto our three-dimensional plane and personify him to understand him a little bit better, but also know that he can't be fully understood, and thus the fourth dimension. I'd love to welcome and thank our guest today. She has a BA in voice performance from Spelman College, a master's of music in choral conducting, a doctoral of music arts from the University of Wisconsin. She is a, the Bethel Choir Director at Bethel University and teaches voice. She has also taught at, is it Buena? It's, it's supposed to be Buena, Buena. but... Yeah, it's supposed to be Buena Vista. <laughs> Buena Vista University, the University of Wisconsin, and Miami University, Ohio, the Hamilton campus. Her choral work has led her to conduct throughout the United States as well as in Canada and Europe. She was elected as one of the 10 international conductors to participate in the, how do you say that? Sartino? Sartiano. Sartiano, Italy Choral Conducting Workshop, among many other accomplishments. Welcome our guest, my choir director, Dr. Marin Geis-Gill. Hello. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. I um, was originally on the path, like for most of my childhood, to become a chemical engineer. Thus, I love science. I'm a history nerd. I have four children. Um, my husband also went to high, the STEM high school I attended and I really like random British television programs and mysteries. Oh, what is it called? <laughs> There's this one random British television program, the Something in the Vicar. Oh, oh yes, I know what you're talking about. I actually yes. don't watch that one. It's like one okay. of the few I haven't, but I, it's only because I haven't gotten to it yet. Like yep. I'm going through everything from like the 80s and 90s. Yeah. <laughs> British TV shows are interesting for sure, but... Nothing too crazy going on. Exactly. I mean, they might think our shows are crazy in America. So, <laughs> All right. So um, let's just jump right into it. So as a choral artist and conductor, what does a day in the life look like for you? Uh, a day in the life looks like, um, for specifically following my job, if, uh, what I do for my field, is I think a lot about how the voice works. I think a lot about how... Um, what we need to do to convey the message. I I think my science background makes me think of what are the functions and techniques more often than anything else. So I spend a lot of time thinking about that before rehearsal. And then, I'll then again, I mentioned being a history nerd, um, playing with the history of the piece we're singing or the music and the cultural significance. And so I like think about those things and sometimes I do research on it. Um, uh, throughout the day before rehearsal. And then when we're doing rehearsal, I'm trying to apply all those things. And so it's a lot of rehearsal and a lot of planning, actually. <laughs> Sounds like the life of a teacher in general. Pretty, pretty, <laughs> yep, yeah. You're like, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna say? <laughs> yep, yep. Um, so what's the best thing about being one, a choral artist and a director, and what are some not great things? The best thing is you get to have these moments of emotional, practiced emotion, like or practical emotion. Like you, you think about you're conveying what human beings go through. That's my favorite thing about choral music is that collectively we come together and we express an emotion or a thought or a time period and get to like put it to, to like experience it rather than just talk about it or look at it. Ah, oh, the downside. I think the only real downside for me is that everybody else doesn't love it as much as I, <laughs> as I do. <laughs> that's it. Is that it's not universally loved. That's that's mm -hmm. about it. <laughs> wow, that can be said about any field. Pretty much, yeah. So, because there are some science people who are like, "Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. We <laughs> learned this about a neuron," and then you're like, mm, "I don't know." <laughs> I mean, you may not be like that, but somebody's yeah. like, oh, "Okay." So, um, so we're gonna. Take what we you know, I should say, not what I know, but what you know about music and conducting and what you've gone through through life. And I want to talk about relationships um, with you. 
And so my first question is, what comes to mind when you hear the word relationship? And how does that interpret your daily interactions with others? Um, the word relationship to me has to do with a connection that improves us. I think that um, daily interact every any relationship you have, whether you want it to or not, is going to have an effect on who you are. And I should say that should improve us because we can have relationships that do the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, but so on a daily basis, I walk through my life hoping that the relationships that I'm involved in, that I am edifying people's existences and building up their daily interaction and vice. And it happens, you know, even if I, whether I'm conscious of it or not, it goes both ways. So I'm always, for my part, the part I can control is am I being for the people I'm having relationships with a source of good in their world and in their edification. Very interesting. I love asking this question. I always ask it on the podcast because everyone has such a different answer on what they think mm-hmm. relationships look like, but they always kind of come to a commonality of being with others. Yeah. So, but it's always interesting to hear that. Um, so my next question for you is describe some relationships you have. You don't have to be specific, but um, what are they like? And um, do you categorize your relationships at all? Um, I, yeah, I have, uh, there's relationships with, uh, with other humans. So I have my relationship with God, but then I have relationship with my husband. I have a relationship with my children, um, with friends, with students, with colleagues, uh, and my parents. And they're all very different. I actually am very intentional in how those relationships are different. Um, you know, like, for example, with my husband, that's a relationship in which there is a we have uh, how I do how we do our relationship. We have a specific roles in each other's lives and we know kind of who we are to each other and we have expectations of each other in those in our relationship. And at, but at, and it's more um, it's more of an equal relationship. You know, I have expectations of him. He has expectations of me mm-hmm. and we work in that framework, whereas with children, um, that's not a that's not a, a relationship where my children have the equal rel- responsibility to me. Mm-hmm. My jo- other than to do to grow and to be, I see that as more of a relationship where I have the responsibility. Um, that there's weight on me more so than on my children. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see the relationships very differently. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, um, do you believe it's important? to put relationships in different categories, such as like, you know, this is romantic relationship, this is a friendship, this is an acquaintanceship, this is just a working relationship. Yes, I do. I think that, but but sometimes the, 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 the lines blur. Like I will mm-hmm. say that, how like I'll use my relationship with students. I always see students, one of the reasons I like working at a college versus a high school is that the people I'm working with are adults or adult adjacent. So <laughs> sometimes, and, 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 it's, and it's on a person-to-person level. Every 18-year-old is not the same. So it's person-to-person, and every 22-year-old is not the same, you know. So I always look at it as in the relationships with students are mentor relationships that I look at, but one day we're not, I'm not always your mentor. One day you mm-hmm. graduate, you become an, uh, a fully-fledged um, uh, adult in society. Like, I kind of look at it like, um, so I have responsibility to you, and when, I, when you're a student, I have responsibility, similar to the to the, to the um uh, children, I have a responsibility that is greater than the student's responsibility to me. I have a greater responsibility to the students. Mm-hmm. But then as a student graduates, we can have more of a peer relationship because you're now, I don't have that same responsibility to you because you're now an adult adult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, no longer, we're there, there's no power dynamic. Um, whereas, uh, and, I, and that's important, you know, I think that like using that as an example, if I, if I think sometimes if a professor doesn't see, for example, their relationship with students as either mentor or that there's a difference in um, your, the responsibility factor, I think bad things can occur mm-hmm. and people's feelings can get hurt and then you're, then you're damaging. You, I mean, there's possibility for damage. I think, you know, even like if with your children, if, you, if you're, like I'll, I'll sometimes say my children aren't responsible for my 
emotions in the same way, that I'm responsible for theirs. And you have to remember that. Otherwise, I think that's when we get into places where sometimes adults can say hurtful things to children mm-hmm. because they, well, because, you know, my child says something mean to me. They're a child. You know, so you have to you have to cordon off those relationships or in or my husband's relationship with my husband. You know, I'm a, I believe in making sure he feels respected and he is not the same thing. I have a different responsibility to him than a girlfriend, than a friend, you know, a peer, like a female friend. And I have a complete, I have a different responsibility to that person than I do to my husband. Mm-hmm. So yeah, relationships are, have, to me, they have different boundaries and very intentional ones. Mm-hmm. How does that um, boundary help you um, keep your life organized? Um, I think that it make it keeps my life organized because it leads to less anxiety. Mm-hmm. I think that if we, um, if we think for me especially, if I think because I wasn't always this is this this is after years of I think, um, getting to a point of understanding this, and I think that for me it helps anxiety be less insane. If I am responding to my relationships with conscious, intentional um, intentionality. If I'm com- being intentional with my husband's relationship, there's less drama <laughs> in that relationship. If that relationship is more peaceful, then the relationship with the children is more peaceful because I'm able to, we're able to do our, whatever our roles are in the house more effectively because we're supporting each other and we recognize the significance of that support, thus it trickles down. And if everything at the home is fine, then I can come to work and not be stressed. I mean, it's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. so they all bounce off of each other and have, um, they're all connected. You know, when any of those are out of whack, it's going to affect the others. Like a, mm-hmm. a bad relationship with a child will affect the relationship with a spouse and will affect mm-hmm. your relationship at work. So as many of those relationships as <laughs> can be uh, healthy and productive, the better. Yeah. Um. What comes to your mind when you envision a relationship with God and how is that possibly different than your relationships on earth? It's one of the, it's probably the only relationship that is the flip of all the ones things I just said. Um, I am the arbiter of responsibility on some level with different varying, right? So my husband, it's more, we have different roles. There's a more equal situation in that relationship, or at least I have a responsibility to him and him to, to me. Uh, I think that the thing about the relationship with God is that we're always working to remember that we aren't in charge. We aren't in control. It is unequal. God has already done the heavy lifting. He has died for your salvation. And your job is to completely or my or my job is to completely trust God, to completely let God let God's love be the support system, because I cannot out love God. Mm -hmm. I cannot. You know, I'm not going to be. able to, um, God's feelings are not my responsibility. And, um, and that's, I think it's hard because as human beings, we have all these relationships with these different levels of responsibility. I do think reflect how God is with us. Like my God's, my relationship to my children where they need to do what I tell them to do because I have love for them. And ultimately that's their really only their own responsibility is so more similar to the relationship with God. And with my husband, I allow him to be who he's supposed to be, and he allows me to be who I'm supposed to be. That's more like, you know, that's a part of our relationship with God, except for we don't have being able to let go, which I think is the difficulty in a real, in, as we learn and continue to grow. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to let God completely take it? You know, let God be completely in charge of the relationship. I obey God. This is not a two-way street. This is not a peer relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? We, you know, I can we can ask God our questions, but the answer is not really up for debate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it's it's a different and, and and recognizing that that's always in love. So I think that really always it's a relationship where I'm always having to look at myself and put myself rather than like I'm. In charge, I'm I'm a teacher, which is an is a leadership or mentor position. Parent, which is that, and those roles don't matter with the relationship to God. It's a completely opposite. Mm-hmm. And to stay, I mentioned adult right before, to be a child of God. You know, to be in the position of the of having the the least responsibility and the least mm-hmm. directional, um, in the relationship. 
So with that, do you think it's appropriate to personify God to a certain degree of like understanding how that relationship is? I think it's good to have. I think that's one of the benefits of our relationships with other people is I think that our relationships with other people help us to understand on some level our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the I think that's one of the reasons why we are supposed to I do believe we're supposed to have some degree of relationship with other people. Not everyone's going to have a husband or a wife, not everyone's mm-hmm. going to have children, but sometimes but your relationships with other people do help you to understand kind of how God is. Like I mentioned little pieces of it. Like one time um uh one of my I'd gotten a, one of my my son a present and he had asked for it and asked for it and asked for it and he got the present and as soon as he got it, he wanted a different present. And I was like, and I, I think I put a Facebook status like, this is exactly how we are. We will mm-hmm. want something, want something, want something, and God will make it happen. And then as soon as we get it, I don't want something else. This is this make me happy now. And I was like, I was like, does God get tired and be like, just go to bed? <laughs> just we're done. Go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> just, because and I and I go, we're we're like perpetual children. <laughs> so God, I want this. God, I yeah. want this. Please, 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 please. please. Exactly. <laughs> I got it. Now I want something else. It's like, <laughs> and it's so I paying attention to my relationship with my children often I think gives me insight into myself and kind of how I probably come off to the creator. <laughs> right. Right. Definitely. So I'm going to seg us, mm-hmm. seg us, <laughs> segue us into, um, um, kind of using your profession, um, to describe different relationships and how relationships are interpreted or described, um, through music. Um, so music, let's talk about how it can impact our life and thus our relationships. Um, you're a voice artist. Mm-hmm. Um, you have won many competitions um, uh, vocally and you train people vocally and you know different voice types and we're not going to get into everything you do because you do so much. Um, but as a vocal artist, especially lyrics are kind of important. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit a little <laughs> maybe bit. a little bit. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if it's in a different language or not. They're they're important. Um, and conveying the meaning um, of not only what your notes are trying to say, but also the rhythms and like other languages are trying to say. It's so important, lyrics for a vocal artist. Um, so what does singing do for you and for others? Is there tr- something transcendent about it, not just for the listeners, but also for when you sing? Uh, yes, I think that... For me, the main, the thing that actually drew me to music was the ability to come together with a group of people, because that's, that's one of the reasons I chose choral music, is the ability to come together with a group of people and to produce something together. Like in that moment in time, we're all producing this together and you're dependent on each other. You know, in choral music, there, if, you're, if you have some amazing altos, but every other section is not amazing, then the song's not going to be amazing. Everybody has to pretty much, you have to be as as close to on par as possible, you know, and if somebody else isn't, we have to help each other out. We have to, it has to be a, it's a complete joint effort. You know, a good ensemble has all, everybody is operating at least close to the same energy. We'll put it that way because different talents might differ, but even within that, the really, really good are helping those who may be less uh, capable in, in certain points. So for me, the transcendent moment is that, like, the moment, to me, the highest moments in choral music are when we come together with our moments and have a beautiful, we create beauty together, and it requires togetherness to create the beauty. You can't do it by yourself in a choral, in the choral art. Mm-hmm. Um, I also teach solo voice, and the thing that I love about solo voice is that I'll, I'll I'll use a phrase sometimes your voice yourself, because a lot of times who you are as a person kind of finds its way into how you sing. Mm. So somebody who's really anxious and tense tends to have tension in the voice, and if you start to relax, and I and I've and I've noticed that as, if you as a human being start to relax, so that you can find your true voice and not let things get in your way, you tend to pull that into your regular life. Mm-hmm. Because you're breathing. In order to do it, you have to breathe different. You have mm-hmm. to kind of stand different. And those things are naturally relaxing you. And that's why I kind of do yoga with, sometimes I'll throw yoga into le- vocal lessons. because it's Downward that, dog, baby. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Child pose. Because you, you can pull in those ideas of relaxing, of letting it go, of trusting 
the instrument you've been given. Mm -hmm. So these themes kind of pop up. If you, you have to, in order to hit random high notes or sustain a low note, you have to trust what you've been given. You have to trust the technique. You have to trust the rules and everything will be fine. <laughs> and so I do think it's transcendent and I do try to make it very, I'll say those things in lessons sometimes. Like, are you trusting this? Are you, you trust yourself? It's going to be fine. And don't create new problems by over correcting. Mm -hmm. And I find that. So if the more someone knows about who they are, I find that they tend to sing better because they trust themselves. They tend to lean into it more, um, lean into the words, mentioned words, you know, what are we really saying and how are we saying it? Music allows you to take just a regular phrase and make it punch harder, you know, make mm -hmm. it have a bigger imprint. Um, and that is the, I mean, music, if talk about it, one of the gifts from God, I mean, why, if you think about what music, especially singing, it's so random. I mean, we don't need it to breathe. I mean, we have so many other things on earth. You have to eat, you have to drink, you have to, your, all the things that we do are often, often, very functional, but singing this amazing ability to make math into something auditorily pleasing because that's basic physics. Music is physics, so you're making these this the, the lining up of ratios make you feel a certain way. How crazy is that? And it's kind of cool. And it's like, you know, the creator said, "Okay, this is this gift that I'm get that's that we're going to put together, whether through instruments or voices." that will bring people peace, pleasure, help you praise, help you get through sadness, all these different emotions that it personifies is an application of mathematics and physics that really kind of comes out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, cool. And every society in the world has it, mm -hmm. has some form of it. Yeah, which reminds me of a, uh, I don't know, what is it, like a picture or something in your office where it's like, I've seen it before, but um, it's the quote, uh, where words fail, music speaks. Yeah. Um, and that's basically what you're describing. Um, could you tell me why you have that in your office particularly? Is it just because it's like, oh, it's so fun to have in my office because I'm a music person? Or is it just like that is something where I can just listen to even a non-lyrical piece of work and just feel the intensity behind what the composer was writing about. Absolutely. Um, it was it was created for me by a student some years ago uh, at, a, wow, was I, of, at another institution. Um, I used to have students who were non-musical because um, I had taught a music appreciation class. Mm -hmm. So if they couldn't perform, so they had to create something with the other talents they did have. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it would be like, a, some of them did like computer stuff, but that, well, that student made that. And it does illuminate like when i listen to or i love sitting in orchestral concerts as do i i uh, love just i i love choral music yeah but there is something about an orchestra mm -hmm. and a band where they can just make it i can physically feel the instruments yes like a pipe yes. organ or some large bass L instrument like a whole you lot can of brass Feel it in your chest, and exactly. I love that because it's not just experiencing it auditorily, but physically. Exactly. But anyway, <laughs> no, but that that is like I'm when I'm sitting um, in places and I'm able to feel the music. But even beyond that, it's like a sense of peace in that one moment, this little moment of time. Uh, I can understand the feeling or be in this moment of humanity on a different level, and it sometimes it helps if I know who the composer is. Because I'll think about when they wrote it. Like one of, to me, some of the most powerful music is music composed during the Holocaust or mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. composers who were involved in World War II one way or the other. Well, I'm generally on the <laughs> side of the Allies. But, but it's like there is this power. Because, I mean, I, I recognize that we have not gone through anything as in, my, in our generations that are alive today, well, or the, the ones that are younger. Um, like that, that we've that we can that isn't hasn't happened on the other side of the world, and so I'm able to think about when humanity is at its brink, what does that feel like? Because we all get to the brink in our own personal lives. Mm -hmm. We get to our personal brinks, but this was a societal, a worldly brink, you know, and what they created artistically. And so when I I like to listen to music that kind of tries to capture that, but without the words, because then. I'm not attaching it directly to that event, but I can attach it to my brinks. You mm -hmm. know, I can think about 
my or, or even extreme love music like Tchaikovsky's uh, Suite of uh, Romeo and Juliet uh, Suite. I love that. Oh, it's so gorgeous, and this this overwhelming sense of like passion that it's violins, it's strings, and moving uh, winds, and it's so gorgeous. And he's expressing all this intense passion because that's human the human experience. And you know, with all our strife and craziest humans and all these polarizing things that people put out there, the reality is at the end of the day, we all have the same hearts. We all have this, the same pain will still affect us. Love, joy, death, grief, those things will always be real for all of time for the human condition. And music captures them, whether it's sometimes it's words and sometimes it's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, music was so important. It, it's so important society that when they sent oh. The Voyager, no, mm-hmm. is that, that the, the spaceship? Yeah, the it left, was it Challenger or Voyager? <laughs> I don't remember. One, one of them. they sent some <laughs> spacecraft out just into space, and it's exited our solar system now. Yeah. Um, and on the gold record, they don't just have like us talking or saying things or like certain ideas. They had it for music. Yeah. And when they they did it, they picked songs with emotions. Mm -hmm. And like, this is what love feels like. And this is what joy feels like. And this is what loneliness feels like. They even had the negative emotions on there. And I think because music is so important to humans and just like the human condition, I think it would be so hard to live without it, especially since we're all born with an instrument. Yeah, we're all born. And and children and, and, and there's a reality to what they discovered with children who have like cerebral palsy or other different um, disabilities that if they learn music first, then they can speak more easily. Mm-hmm. And they've also discovered or we even look at how you can take um, music anywhere in the world. And if you don't even if you don't speak the language, certain musical moments will make sense. Like, like sadness. Like you can take somebody who had never heard a classical piece ever and you can play something that is in a minor key and with long legato chords, and they will get what that's supposed to convey. Mm-hmm. You know, even if they don't know anything about the instruments or, or playing or whatnot. Unless you were in the Baroque period, then it yeah. was holy music <laughs> that, that is, was long yeah, and minor. Yeah, exactly. Sacred exactly. music. Exactly. Everything's, everything's the same. But, you know, and then, or even like if when I listen to music from uh, different cultures outside of the Western genre, like music that's celebratory from like Central Africa mm-hmm. or music that is celebratory for, or, or Latin America, Latin America, or Asian music that is uh, pain that's supposed to convey a sense of pain and longing, like um, uh, Japanese opera, which does not is nothing like Western opera. Mm-hmm. And when there are the when the singer is singing something heartfelt or pangs, there's a lot of heart in that. It, like all opera, there's some, <laughs> there's extremes. You get it. You don't have to understand the words. You get what's happening. And it's just, it's 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 kind of a, it's a gift. It really is a gift that we've been given on I this mean, planet. I mean, even in silent films, they yeah. had live music yeah. a lot of the times, <laughs> unless it was maybe a French silent film. But, like, I know, like, <laughs> Charlie Chaplin's silent films, they mm-hmm. usually have an organist in the theater um, to convey that what they couldn't say in film. Right. So I think it was interesting, even though it was a lot of times funniness. So they had a lot of funny chords and Exactly. But it's so interesting because even the blind, the deaf, and like Bach was partially blind and went blind later in his years and Beethoven, same thing happened. Um, They still made music. And like you said, people with cerebral palsy and that are on the autism spectrum, like we we can convey with them and they can convey to us using music. Exactly. And I think this is such a great topic to talk about when it comes to relationships because no matter the language barrier, the physical barrier, or anything, if we have music to describe humanity, it would be humanity, literally. Exactly. Um, um, You don't need to understand the language, um, but the lyrics are also um, so important when it comes to... um, conveying emotion as well but i'm a sucker for instrumental music myself because i just love listening to the same thing over again and be like oh there's the oboe oh there's that and like what did the conduct why did the conductor or the writer sorry the um, composer write it like that so oh yeah but um 
already kind of uh, answered the next question we're talking about. So I want to hear your um, opinion on it is why do you think music is so impactful for relationships? I think that it is it is something we can come people can join in together on if they're performing it. And if not, there's something they can experience and it is about like like if we think about going to a concert and regardless of whether it be a pop music concert, a Christian contemporary concert uh, or classical concert, whatever the concert may be, being in the space with the people at the same time, it's almost like willed emotion you know like if you've ever been to um well i remember the first gospel music because i was raised catholic so i didn't actually hear gospel music often when i was younger Mm -hmm. but then i went to college in the south so (laughs) so i went to my first my freshman year i went to uh, a gospel music concert it was the first one i'd ever been to and to get that levels of praise how you didn't know why somebody over there might have been falling out and having this emotional experience but the song everybody's having this experience at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what it is. Like, you know, if you're just walking through the day through the hallway, you or in a, sitting in a class where people are talking, you're not really sure. Some people, people could be tuning out, could be not paying attention, could be thinking about their lunch. But when music is playing in the motion, if and if it's good music and it's and it's really music that's designed to, to get at the heart or the, the brain or whatever, then you will feel everyone will have an experience at the same time and that is that's like even you know that's the part that makes it a little different is it's like how many what can touch the heart at the exact same time every uh, no matter how many people are in the room Mm -hmm. but they will all can all be at the point of weeping you know that's pretty intense yeah just an ability like the statistics that you can read like when a choir is really in the song in the moment together like all their heartbeats match up it's just like like those cool things that you just, it's something, something transcendent. Yes, special. <laughs> um, so there are so many love, quote unquote, um, songs in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, many songs are about romantic relationships when they go well and when they don't. <laughs> um, why do you think that is specifically and how are quote-unquote, older songs similar to contemporary songs when it comes to love songs? I think that love is... Love is literally why we do half of what we do. It is at the source of so much of our motivations. Without love, we would sit in one room and do nothing. I mean, most of the time you... um, the love of self will allow you to seek out adventures, experiences to grow yourself. The love of or the desire for love, romantic love, is literally the core. Everything, how you oftentimes how we present, how we preen mm-hmm. uh, for some people, what jobs they get, <laughs> where they go, um, what they but what they will do to their their bodies, their hair, everything else. That all oftentimes is in an effort to get, keep, and maintain romantic love. Then when you have children, half of what you do is for the love of your children. As an older person, you may do in mother, all sorts of other things for the love of your parents. Um, I mean, there's almost, if we took away our love relationships, what do we do anything for? I mean... This point of half half the stuff we do is for my, <laughs> you know, uh, especially I would say like you know husbands the amount of stuff that husbands will do for because <laughs> their wives want them to and they love the ones that love you know, and same thing you know why so much of what we do uh, why I'd cook a big Thanksgiving dinner why I'd go through all that it's for mm. the people you love mm-hmm. you know most of what we do is for love so I think that r- romantic love especially I think that. Romantic love is 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 a love that is I do believe when it says in the as I got older I didn't really understand it when I was younger but as I got older the concept of of the marriage relationship mirroring on a very special way Christ and the church mm-hmm. and what that feels like and looks like and get to the point where 
you really are trying your best to model this relationship of an ultimate sacrifice because you have to sac in a marriage relationship you sacrifice so much um your will your what you feel like doing <laughs> your a lot tongue. of doors closed <laughs> yeah exactly what you you know there's so much sacrifice for the sake of another person and what and how you how that configures is often different in different relationships but there it is a very in de- it's love in a in a very different kind of way and um so i think that because that's so intense because that's so um intentional when it's done well i think that and it's the result and as a result that's where pe- other people come from in the best circumstances you know the best circumstances this love relationship between two people produces other people mm-hmm. and so i think that our society may not philosophically examine that well anymore, <laughs> but but there's so much weight there, right? I mean, it's like this this produces and it, and healthy marriages produces produce healthy children, not just physically but mm-hmm. emotionally and mentally. Mm-hmm. So you know, wow. Of course, there's. I mean, it's powerful. This is a it's a powerful engine in society. If we had a society where everyone really loved their spouse and their children, we'd have a better society, hands down. So it, it literally is like a healing balm. That's why I say it, it mirrors the relationship with God so much. And God, I think, you know, it's one of the first, um, one of the first thing God does with human beings is say, mm, you shouldn't be alone. And I think that this is, is such a powerful part of our world. And it's, so, yeah, I think that we it's almost instinctively, even people who don't believe in God or even people who don't even really believe in doing love well, know on some level the power of this of this this situation of the of the love relationship between mm-hmm. two people um, and the power of that. So I think that that ends up having so many love songs because we are somehow instinct understanding that this is heavy. This is this is important for our flourishing on some level. Now, sometimes people don't not even has romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. And I think that that there's not that that doesn't make that that relation that diminishing those people because because there's so much sacrifice and responsibility, we also need people in the world who aren't giving up that level of responsibility. Mm-hmm. But if you are called mm-hmm. to marriage or to family, you know, there there's a heavy sacrifice in that. Yeah, like I was going to mention this you kind of did already was um sacrifice. I think um as Christians and followers of Christ, I think we understand a lot of times, well, hopefully we do, <laughs> um, uh, the church hopefully does, that s- true love from our creator is in itself sacrificial, um, especially on our part. And I think um, that's what I th- that's why I think Christians should understand sacrifice. And I think sometimes mm. non-Christians understand that more, mm. and you can hear it in their songs. Mm. They have to sacrifice a part of themselves, and they enjoy doing it too. And I think it's so important when it comes to romantic love to understand that romantic love is displaying a part of sacrifice that we make to another person. To another person, yep. Because we're in such an individualistic society in the Western culture that I think it's so interesting to see how self-sacrifice is in our culture still. And I'm so glad it is because even from a non-Christian standpoint, um, sacrifice is so important to understanding um, a relationship. And I think once you get it and you hear music and you feel a certain way about someone and you're envisioning that person, I personally feel sometimes um, it doesn't even have to be lyrical, but instrumental, like, just a window of heaven opened and you just got to experience a little bit of heaven. Like, you know, when you're sitting on in this nice summer night, sitting at the edge of a dock with someone you love, doesn't even have to be romantic. And you're just looking at the stars, like just imagining a feeling like that. I don't know what it might be for anyone out there or for you, but like for me, just sitting there doesn't have to say anything, sacrificing my time, sacrificing myself, being with this person, just like, a little glimpse of heaven, and sometimes I feel that in music. I think that that is exactly right. That 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 level of 
transcendence and how that comes out on some level because there's sacrifice even in music in order to be mm-hmm. a musician you had to sacrifice your time to develop a lot that of time. talent <laughs> yeah yeah exactly to develop and learn and i think you hit it on the head relationships really are sacrificial and on some level the you need to, and that's why the, when i said i think that that's the part when i was talking about the children i sacrifice more than my children are going to mm-hmm. sacrifice but my husband and I have to sacrifice on a more equal level. Friends have to sacrifice on a more equal level. And that but that is the the gist of it. We give up of ourselves on it for love. And music, uh, you have to give up vulnerable uh, your vulnerability. You have to give into vulnerability and, and again, give up of your time, your energy, your your desire to even create it. And then it helps us to feel out how the result of that sacrifice. And when you're talking about vulnerability, it's not just like performing music, but it could just be sharing music. Yes. I feel like sometimes people forget like there's positive, like, I don't know, not negative and positive. Um, there's a vulnerability that we don't really think of as vulnerability. And it's just like sharing our ideas mm-hmm. or sharing our likes is very vulnerable. But I don't yeah. think people view it as a vulnerability, but like sharing what I like to listen to. You know, that's a very vulnerable thing. Mm-hmm. You may not realize it, but as soon as somebody says, oh, I don't really like that, then you can feel like where you just were vulnerable and you're like, oh, wow, I was just vulnerable there. And right. I was kind of not accepted because of my music taste. I'm not saying like you're not accepted or anything, but like um, just that idea of vulnerability when it comes to non-performers too. Yeah. Like what you enjoy and of what your playlist could say about your season in life right now. Yes, I was going to say, and that's the other thing, is oftentimes you can reveal about a little bit about yourself by what you listen to. Vulnerability. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, like, if I say I like 21 Pilots, it may say something about me or it might not. But yeah. I'm just saying, <laughs> still a vulnerable thing to say or, you know. Yes. Like Ariana Grande or someone. <laughs> Oy. <laughs> Um, so we were talking about love songs and relationships and we can't avoid worship songs. No. Um, when we're talking about relationships and God and music. So my question is, what types of songs should we be singing to God? Mm. Should we be writing love songs to God? Or what, what do you think is the best way to write a song to God to describe our relationship with him? I would say honestly. Whatever the honest, I think that the, what the, the most important thing is honesty. Like the question of should we write love songs to God? Yes, we write because they're love songs to children. You know, mm-hmm. like one of my favorite songs, the Dixie Chicks uh, song. Um, uh, I don't think they're called that anymore. Oh, yeah, but when they were the, Di- <laughs> when they were the Dixie Chicks, they, have a, she, they wrote a song. She wrote a song to her son. And it's such a cute song, and it's all about him being a child. Of course, he's probably a grown man now, but <laughs> the song was written, you know, it's uh, for this little boy, and, you know, she says, you know, like, um, uh, grab a racer, pajamas on the couch. And she's just talk- describing his childhood, and it's like, oh, it's so cute. So, yeah, if we can write sh- love songs to children and friends. There's plenty of friend love songs, and there's together love songs, mm-hmm. and there's uh, love songs to parents. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that worship music allows us the space to really kind of fall in love with Jesus. And, you know, the concept of what what falling in love means. You know, I think that that's, especially when you're young, that's a hard concept. Mm -hmm. Um, And it doesn't have to be romantic love either. Exactly. Ding on! I was going to say, because to me, how I would describe it is falling in love is really about allowing yourself to not be in control, mm-hmm. to lose the control. Vulnerability. Yep. And that is probably from the fall forward. <laughs> it's the hardest thing about being a human being. You have to relinquish, learning how to relinquish control. Yep. Um, I have a question that's kind of... Um, it's been something I think about a lot because I want to be present when it comes to worship songs, but I find myself overthinking because I've been in music and I know rhythm and I know notes and I know pitches and keys and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, they're a little off. They could drop their jaw more. And like, <laughs> I was wondering because you are a professional, how how hard is it to be present and... um 
when when can you be present? Does it have to be a point in the worship music where you're like, I want to be performing it? Like, that's my calling. That's my worship to God. Or can you enjoy listening to it? Because for me, I don't like traditional worship music. Mm-hmm. My, like, if I'm going to go worship, like, with music, it'd be go, like, listening to worship music. It'd be, like, going to an orchestra. Yeah. It doesn't have to be lyrical for me, and it doesn't necessarily have to be Christian. Yeah. But um, I was wondering what your thoughts are because I'm always, like, thinking about this when it comes to sitting in church and listening to a lot of contemporary music. I'm actually very similar to you. I think that I sometimes have had my some very worshipful experiences in an orchestral mm-hmm. concert, especially. Um, I think that for me, I can... It is difficult. I will just admit my failing if if the music is not if it's badly performed. I do have a hard time. It is very difficult for me to. I can not. But 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 let me rephrase what badly performed means. Mm -hmm. If it's a bunch of people who are really into it and they really love what they're doing and they're standing up there and they're giving their all, I'm good. If it's people. Oh, it's Sunday again. Yes. (laughs) It it, it really has a lot to do with the energy of the, Mm -hmm. and what comes through from the people up there bringing their gifts to God. Um, I do have a easier time at when it's also talent combined with that. Mm -hmm. I think that it's, I think it's, there's like you know there's a church that will say it doesn't matter if, if yes it, it's not that it, it doesn't matter it's that but you have people in, gift best to God you you have people in your church who yeah. may be gifted in that yes exactly um, and I, I I have a real problem sometimes when it comes to um, music because I love music so much yeah. and for me I always think I'm like am I giving my first fruits yes exactly it's like if if we prize God as much as we say we do. This right. is what I'm thinking. Why aren't we giving our first fruits? If yes. there are people who are talented, gifted and those are their talent, God-given gifts. Yep. Why aren't they up on stage? It's just like it's just like would you because the same thing is true when it comes to the 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 leader, the the the, the pastor. If mm-hmm. there's someone who's anointed to be able to illuminate the text and then there's somebody who is going to be less coherent, you're going to want a coherent person and it's and who can really deliver the text. There's a lot of people who can understand the text, but can they deliver the text? Can they illuminate the text? Mm-hmm. You know, are they anointed in that area, as to use Southern people speak? And it's like the same thing when it comes to musicians. There are people who have, I uh, uh, remember the first time I heard that phrase was in the South, was an anointing mm-hmm. when it comes to music and they are really able to help people usher in the spirit and that is a gift, and it is something that should be, I think, um, recognized because God says, you know, when David is, is gets his harp and he is playing for Saul, that is a gift. God doesn't say, we are no recognized that David is supposed to have had a beautiful voice. David is supposed to have talents with the harp. It, you know, at no point does it suggest that David was playing wrong chords and, <laughs> and just doing whatever. It's clear that he has a talent in this. And... Um, also, again, it's mathematical beauty. It's just like a flower or any other thing that occurs in nature that is almost a question, like the the beauty of how things work and come about. I think God created beauty, and that includes musical beauty. And mm-hmm. Martin Luther fame, one of my favorite quotes, Martin Luther said, why should the devil have all the good music? So why we can recognize that people with talent sometimes are going to use it for um Music that might uh, usher in all sorts of other emotions and feelings and, <laughs> <laughs> and behaviors. <laughs> so, what do you mean? Uh, I don't know what you're talking oh, about. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's all sorts of um, music that's not sacred that ushers in emotions. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it's the same thing. The talents are, but this, these talents are being used for the edification of, of God, and they should be. What do you mean? I, I I thought the song where it says uh, "Call me Mr. Flintstone because I'll make your bed rock." Was, oh you my know. gosh! <laughs> exactly. It's like okay, all right. Okay. Anyway, uh, Marvin Gaye. Uh, <laughs> exactly. It's like there's uh, always and there's and the thing is it's always been music. Again, that power. There's always been music that ushers in all sorts of other stuff mm-hmm. too. So this is so we should it should be good and it's I mean it, 
nobody wants to listen to at their wedding uh, or at a party music that's bad there. So why would we have bad music at church? So <laughs> it's it's the same thing. Yeah, I think it's just a different idea, and I think it needs to be talked a little bit more. That could be a whole nother segment. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> so my next question to you, aside from that tangent, is. Um, why is it important to know the human experience of relationships through music? And how does that relate to our relationship with God? Because our relationships with other people is how we bring our relationships to God to fruition. God put us, we have the, the relationship with God is for our salvation, but we are also have the great commission and we bring people. It is our job to bring people to God, as well as ourselves. Mm -hmm. That requires relationship. When Jesus meets a woman at the well, he starts off with a relationship. He doesn't start off talking about her sin. Mm -hmm. He comes to her first with, I'm here to bring you something. He starts with, let's let's share this water. He starts off by talking to her, by telling her, by talking about herself. And then he says, now, yes, you've had five husbands, (laughs) you know, so no more. And we can't bring people to God without relationship. And so when we're looking at what music's job is as as Christians, uh, whether it be what we listen to and how it edifies us, what we bring into our homes, how we share with each other, it represents this level of relationship and connectedness. You never know, especially at choir, my, my first ever evangelical, if you will, experience happened in choir because I was in high school that this uh, friend of mine um, who was an atheist, we would we were singing in the same high school choir and our high school director ignored the, the public school rules and we sang a lot of sacred music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she got away with it because she picked mostly classical composers, but it was sacred music. And she would talk about the meaning. She probably I don't know if it would get she would get away with it as easily now as she did in the 90s, um, the late 90s at early 2000s. But she was able to, we were, so we were singing these songs and she knew I was a believer and she would look at how passionate the people around her were when we were singing this music and it made her question and it made her ask questions. And we had a relationship, we were friends. And even though like the first part, few years of our relationship, she would tell me all about some of the stuff that wasn't the healthiest that she would be engaged in. By the time we got to junior and senior year, she had decided to pay more attention to God. She had, she, she, and she said to me once, it was because I would watch you and listen to you and then you would turn around and then also, I wasn't even consciously evangelizing. It was just by singing and being true to my faith. And she actually made me her matron of honor in her wedding because she, she credited that experience with um, uh, her coming and having a relationship with God at the beginning of it. Mm. So it's that's all relationship. It's relationship. It's music. It's sharing. It's community. Music is a community If in the most, even solo singers have to have other people involved in what they're doing. And it's it's that community and that relationship that we can emulate, show God, be able to discuss things, songs about different topics that we're dealing with, songs about love or death, we're able to then bring have use that in our relationships with others. And as we're supposed to do anything, anything we do is a part of our relationship experience. And music has the power to illuminate all the things people are going to go through that may um, be a part of their regular life and give us doorways in which to um, examine ourselves and each other. And so that's, I would say, is what we should, we could do with music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's so much you can talk about with music. Yay! I agree. So much, so much. Um, uh, let's just get a little uh, into what hits you in the feels, as they say, <laughs> when it comes to music. What are songs that you just like, this is my anthem, or this is my lament, or like, what are some songs that just like, you can listen to and you're like, at a, any point in your life, it doesn't have to be right now, but um, you listen to and you're like, this is... This is what this feels like. This is this is what I'm feeling. There is a Bach cello concerto, Bach cello um, sonata in. Is it? 
Pasakali and Shikan and G minor. People know it. It's in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, that that one is always a go. <laughs> I love that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, I think almost every genre I have something. Um, my piece uh, in the land of worship music is uh, Reckless Love. I love Reckless Love. Mm-hmm. Um when it comes to, uh, I would say there's a gospel song that I learned um, when I was in college. Um, I need you now, uh, but see, I can't remember who sings. It's a tenor, but um, of course, I know, you know the best. exactly. Bias here, <laughs> My um, classical vocal piece that always. Um, is there's a the end of uh, of Madame Butterfly? She's actually choosing to give up her son, her well, her life actually, but her son because she thinks he'll get a better life, and that just is. Ugh. Um, so she's giving mm-hmm. him to her his father, who's an American. She's Japanese and thinks his life will be better with her fa- his father. Um, and uh, that's the last I can remember. That's the last song in the opera Madame Butterfly. Um, in indie music, which is my actually my go-to pop music uh, mm-hmm. styling, there is a song by a singer called Ani DeFranco called um, 23 Flavors. And the um, one of the lines is, I'm beyond, beyond your peripheral, peripheral vision, so you might want to turn your head. Um, because she says, I'm not standing in the way of, your, uh, of what you want to do. Because that song is because as a younger person, it took me a while to feel ex- accept who I was and be happy with all the different er- you know ideas of my identity and um and who God made me to be and that's mm-hmm. what the whole song is about it's like you know I'm I'm you know so that uh song is very indian very cool in that regard I like there's just a, there's a lot there's so many <laughs> but those are kind of the ones that have 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 been there a long time in my um in my background, my choral music anthem, I do have a choral music anthem, and that's Psalm 27. Psalm 27 is by a composer named Betty Jackson King, and it might find its way in the Bethel Choir at some point. I don't know when. Wow, I'll be excited Yeah, it is um, uh, this piece that is all, it's a praise song, and my heart... um, Goes on and then the song? No, no, no! Um... (laughs) it's all this, the, the starts off kind of uh, the basses start off low and it's this lulling song at first but then it just gets this explosion of love for who God is and it's just very moving and and uh, emotional and romantic-esque even though it was actually written in the 20th century but it was it has romantic coloring and that is just that's a song that I used to love singing I would sing it with all of me when I was in high school and college and uh, today it is uh, still one of the pieces that I go, this this is what I went into music for, to have moments like this was when it was singing Psalm, um, I said 27, but Psalm 57. So Psalm 57 by Betty Jackson King. My song goes, my heart goes on and end the song. And yes, and it's not just lamentation. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay. I know it's talking about. Um, yeah. Um, for me, it's probably a big old orchestra, you know, let me feel it in my chest kind of song, you know. <laughs> I'm a sucker for movie scores because they have that big feel. Yeah. Um, video game scores are kind of like that too, some of them, the big feel, you know. Um, but I also love um, lyrical songs that are very poetic mm. in nature. I like songs that have a wide vocabulary mm-hmm. when it comes to, because I'm a sucker for uh, poetry. Yes. Yeah. You know, like, um, it doesn't have to be love poetry, but like Robert Frost, um, stuff like that. Robert Frost went through a lot. I mean, if you look yeah. at any poet, they went through a lot. So if you're a poet, I'm sorry, because um, ah! <laughs> you probably went through so much in your life. But um, just like taking, and that's why I think it's so amazing that we can take poetry from the Bible mm-hmm. and turn it into music because it has such a different imagery because different words invoke different 
feelings. Right. Um, I just did a language podcast with Mark Norlander, and nice. we were kind of talking about this. Um, he's the French prof here at Bethel. Um, but, I love French. so awesome. <laughs> um, but just thinking of two words that could mean the same thing but have different connotation. And, like, if you just replace that word in a song, how different it could be. So, mm-hmm. like, one is, like, ones that you could use for describing a certain thing. Um, let's just say for COVID, um, they're afraid of COVID. Mm-hmm. Has a different connotation than they're concerned. Mm-hmm. They're wary. They're worried. They're anxious. Like, they all could be used to describe one feeling, but it's not just one feeling. That's that right. That feeling has... Uh, or an array of colors and of shades. colors and shades like blue isn't just blue Mm-mm. and that's where uh, like russians when they say blue they could say dark blue or light blue and they say it and they have different words for it um and so like that's the same thing with emotions and i think that is the epitome of where words fail mm. music speaks Ooh, because yay, you have love that. words that could be translated differently to notes amen put to rhythms and when you find that right word it doesn't even have to be the right word you can convey it in the background with your instrument or instruments and you can convey it in the background with the tempo and whatever whatever so that was actually a realization that i just had now um, that was a good one <laughs> it was just revelation. Like thinking about like we could say um sad mm-hmm. or depressed or um blue or melancholy melancholy um to describe different things. And I think that's where poetry is so intense because they have such a wide vocabulary. They can describe a forest in a very different vocabulary that will give you a very vivid description and make you feel a certain way. And I think that's where music comes in. Amen. And I I think when we put poetry to music, it just emphasizes what it's saying. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it beautiful that we have in our world to kind of just communicate all this to communicate and and develop ourselves and our senses Mm -hmm. yep yeah it's awesome (laughs) so my last question for you well it's two-sided question i'll ask the first one um is what is one thing that you've learned throughout your life with relationships and music and anything else in your life that helped you envision a great relationship with god and what can people do to help apply that to their life I've learned that it's not about me. On no level, when we are performing, when I'm performing with a choir, it's not about me. It's about this moment with all of us. It can be about we on a level, but really not even that. It's about God. It's about the message. It's about the music. It's about the beauty, it's about the story, it's about the words. It's about the student who gets to um, have a moment that they won't forget 20 years from now. It's about the audience that comes away with something that made them feel good in a time of trial or tribulation. Mm -hmm. It's about the tears, it's about the joy, it's not about me. And I would say that is always something that I when we make it about us when we make it about me things are lost it's it and that is what I would say and I think that that is what we take to our relationship um even with God it's not about us it's about God it's about God's kingdom it's about God's glory that we are a part of God's plan it's not really about us. And that's, that's I think, the message and how we give up this power and this control even and allow the vulnerability. When we have our relationships with other people, our relationships with other people really aren't totally about us. They're about the relationship. They're about the other person. They're about what the relationship does, like the husband and this about the children. It's, there's, there's it's to, to make to places where we do have to, I, you know, it's not that we don't matter. But we are a part of something, you know, we are part of our family, we're a part of the relationship with a friend, you know, we are a duo, we're, it's never just, just about us. Mm. 
And then the second to last thing that I want to end with is what is one vocal tip for singers <laughs> for anyone out there not to do to their voice besides, you know, scream on the top of their lungs at a football game? I was going to say, don't scream and um, don't whisper. Uh, alcohol is bad. <laughs> <laughs> alcohol is not your vocal friend. Um, no, you don't sound better after your vodka. Uh, it's Maybe you <laughs> do because you're a little, ooh, yeah. You, you hear differently. But um, I would say that water is great, warming up, and don't sing sick. Mm. <laughs> go to sleep. That's the other thing. Go to sleep. <laughs> yep. And then one thing that I also love as much as I love sound and music is moments when you have this huge mass of sound, whether choral or orchestra, and then all of a sudden stops. And that silence speaks volumes, even though it's so quiet. So I would just like to take like maybe 10 seconds and just end with a little silence. So much could have been said there, but we just took the time to enjoy like that moment. And that was I think awesome. It's so important to just remember to rest. Like ah, you said. yes, yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> Not just in our lives, but in music. Exactly. Rest. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Doctor um, Guys Gill, for joining me um, and just talking away about relationships, music, and God. Thank you so much. Yes. All right. You have everyone have a wonderful night, and thank you for joining us. Bye.